Well, before you get too intimidated by his words, he was quoting out of the Song of Solomon book that we are studying over these weeks. And this right here is my wedding picture. And uh, and you can tell from this that this was a long time ago. And, uh, And so whenever I look at this picture right here, it reminds me of all the seasons that led to this moment right here. And all of the seasons that we have had since this moment. My youngest daughter is getting married this summer. And my wife and daughter, they are obsessed on getting all of the details done. I have one job for the wedding. Write the check. Just get it all ready. And and here's the deal. Because we can spend months and months and months planning a wedding and never really take any time to prepare for a lifelong relationship. And that's what we're going to talk about Today, welcome to Crossing. So glad that you're here. Want to welcome our Southeast campus, our microsites, those who are watching online. Can we just give them a big hand? Glad that you're part of the Crossing family with us. And before we jump in, I want to just let you know about a couple things. I start a sabbatical in May. Um, After our pastors have served six years, they're eligible for a three-month sabbatical. And so this is that season for me. And let me tell you one of my passions here at The Crossing. My passion is to have a healthy staff. And with the demands of ministry and the stress and pressure of leadership and then all the things we do from weddings to funerals to walking along people in the the greatest tragedies of their life, for me, trying to communicate every week in a fresh and relevant way, our elders have implemented a regular season of rest and replenishment. And so I'm just so grateful for our elders to allow us pastors to be able to do that. And so this will just give me the opportunity just to get off stage for a few weeks and to plan and to dream about what is next. And although you won't see me in person, I have filmed several of the messages um, for when I'll be gone. And I don't want to leave for a few weeks, so don't get too excited. So I'm not gone yet. I'll be in Japan next Sunday preaching at our church plant there in Kyoto. And then I'll be back the week after that before I leave. Well, we are in week two of our series called Explicit Lyrics. And in this series, we are walking verse by verse through the book of Song of Solomon. Now, this is just one of those books. It's just hard to understand. And the reason is because it is a song. And Solomon writes at the very beginning. He says, this is my song of songs. So in other words, this is my masterpiece. Out of all of the songs that I've written... This is the masterpiece. And this is a song that is it's devoted to describing human love with this one thought in mind. That God's ways are better than the world's ways. And last week we talked about the art of attraction. And here was our main idea from last week is that true love happens not by finding the perfect person, but by seeing the imperfect person perfectly. See, it doesn't happen by finding the right person because you are never going to find that perfect person. It's by seeing the imperfect person perfectly. Next week, 
we're going to see their wedding. And we're going to be invited into their honeymoon suite. And so Lee is going to be bringing the message next week when I'm in Japan. He's going to be talking about sexual intimacy. And so if you're a parent, next week is going to be a PG-13 service. And so you can take advantage of our fantastic children's ministry as part of next week. And it's going to be no more explicit than the Song of Solomon is. But it's pretty racy. And there are some verses in there. And so we're going to talk about that next week. And then the following week, we will see their first fight. We'll see Solomon sleeping on the couch after their first fight, and we're going to talk about working through conflict. But today, today we're going to talk about preparing for that lifelong relationship. I I ran across an article this week called Tips on Love from Those Who Should Know. And so they asked kids questions about relationships. And here's the first question. They said, what do most people do on a date? And so Mike, who's age 10, says, on the first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go on the second date. (laughs) How true that is. Here's this next question is, why do people fall in love? And here's what Jan sees age 9, she said. She goes, no one is sure why it happens. But I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. (laughs) How about this one? What's the right age to get married? Now, Tom, age five, says this. He says, well, once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. (laughs) You go, Tom. Judy, who's age eight, says 84. Because at that age, you don't have to work anymore, and you can spend all of your time loving each other in your bedroom. (laughs) So looking forward to 84 and for that to happen. (laughs) Well, if you're single, if you're single, a series like this might be hard for you. Because you see people who, who are in relationships, you see your best friends getting married, and you just wonder, why am I not at this season yet. And then every person has that relative who says to them at a wedding, you're going to be next. And you want to punch them, but you can't because you're at a wedding. And so if you want to know what to do with that relative who always does this at a wedding, next time you're at a funeral, just tell them the same thing. (laughs) You're going to be next. No, don't do that. Don't do that. See, here's what the modern dating scene looks like. It's boy meets girl, or girl swipes right on app, and they get together, they go for a meal together, they end up at one of their houses or their apartments, and they look at each other, and one thing leads to another, and finally the girl says, why don't you just stay over? And they do this for a period of time until boy meets other girl. And this process is just repeated over and over and over again until one day, Boy meets special girl. Girl meets special boy. And they decide that you're the one. And they get married. And then a few years later, they get divorced and they wonder, what went wrong? Well, I want to give you today's principle up front. Because here's what people say all the time. People say, well, practice makes perfect. You hear them say this all, just just practice makes perfect. That is, that's actually not true. I love what our worship arts director, Michelle Shepard, says. She says that practice makes permanent. That practice makes permanent. And so here's our principle for today, that in every relationship, what you practice becomes permanent. 
in every relationship that you have, the way that you practice, the things that you do, those become permanent habits in your relationship. And see, we understand this principle in almost every other area of our life. We understand it in money. We understand it in academics. We understand it in jobs and in sports. That if I pay the price now, I will reap the benefit later. You know, I may not feel like going to school tomorrow, but if I discipline myself for the next couple years, then I will reap the rewards of that for the next 40 years. Only in this area of relationships do we ignore this principle. And what we say is, well, you're going to be tied down one day, so you just need to go out and have fun. You just need to go sow your wild oats today. And there is a couple generations of people who have done this, and they have paid a heavy price. See, I think this is the most important area to live out this principle because our relationships are the most important part of our lives. And I want to remind you of the ground rules of this series. I talked about this last week. Is ground rule number one is you listen for yourself, not for someone else. Because we tend to hear these words and, and we have somebody else who pops into our mind that we want, to, we want them to hear, we want them to write it down. We're not going to do that. We listen about how this can help you, how this can help me. And here's second ground rule, is I want you to look forward, not back. We all have a season in our past that we would like to forget. But Jesus gives us a fresh start from this day forward. We're going to get it right. I don't care how many failed relationships you've had in the past. Jesus makes all things new. Jesus gives us a clean slate. Well, here's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity. In other words, not all activities fall into all seasons. There is a time for certain activities. And we don't just follow our feelings. We follow the season that we're in. So you'll hear people say, well, well just trust your feelings. Well, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. You trust what God says. And it will save you so much heartache. That we make these decisions based on not how I feel, but the season that God has us in right now. And in Song of Solomon chapter 2, Solomon is going to talk about these seasons that we can learn from. And here's this first season. It's the season to guard your heart. That when you're entering into a relationship, when you are new in a relationship, it is a season for you to guard your heart. Look what it's written right here. This is the Shulamite woman who is speaking, listen, my beloved, look, here he comes. Now you can just hear this in the voice, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. This is what Darla says to me all the time. <laughs> says, look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, which means female friend. You're my friend. My beautiful one, come with me, for we're going to P.F. Chang's together. <laughs> this is that moment right here of infatuation. This is that season of infatuation where they seem perfect. This is when you go home to your friends and you go, I have met the perfect person. 
Because love is blind. At that moment, you cannot quite see through all of those things. So you think that they are perfect. This is the season right here that you guard your heart. You guard your heart. You don't follow your feelings. You be careful that you don't let the enemy get a foothold in your relationship. See, it's right feelings, wrong season. It's okay to feel that way. It's even okay to want what is next. It's just not the right season yet. And see, I don't want to act like you don't have those feelings. When I come in here and, and I speak to you on every Sunday, I know that there are certain things that you're going through. And it doesn't help to say, well, just don't feel that way. You, know, you, you shouldn't feel that way. It is more than that. Because if you're in a relationship, this is that season that you guard your heart. Solomon goes on to say this. He says, see, um, can we get that next verse up? Um, okay, maybe not. Um, let me read it for you here. It says, see, the winter is past. He's talking about this season. The winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come and the cooing of doves is heard in our land. That this is a season he's talking about. Here's what's unique about winter. Usually at winter, we just stay inside. Now, I've lived in Vegas now for 24 years. I grew up in the Midwest where the winters are brutal. And we even watch it on TV. I mean, they're still having snow in the Midwest and over on the East Coast. They're just brutal. Well, I'm used to Vegas weather. When it gets down to 40 degrees, I'm just miserable. You know, I just keep saying to Darla, when is, is winter going to be over? I, I just want it to get warm again. Well, winter has a purpose. Winter is the season of preparation. See, when flowers come, when spring comes, the flowers appear. But winter is that season of preparation. When I was a teenager, I had a lawn mowing business. And so I mowed 10 or 15 lawns that were in my neighborhood. And there are certain fertilizers that you put on your lawn during the summer and there's different ones that you put on your lawn during the winter. Now, if you've ever done fertilizer, you know that there are those three numbers on fertilizer. The first number is nitrogen. And pretty much the only role of nitrogen is just to make your lawn green. It just makes it look like you have this, this lush lawn. You take care of it all the time. The middle number is phosphorus. This is all about getting the roots to grow deep. And then there's potassium, which just gives overall strength. Well, during the winter... You want the roots to grow deep because that's what makes a healthy lawn. Here's what Solomon is saying, that there is a time to focus on growing deep in the roots of your life. Then you'll be prepared for spring. That spring is only as good as the preparation was made in the wintertime. But if you want to grow the roots deep in your relationship, then you grow them deep in your relationship with God first. See, you don't need to find the right person. You need to become the right person. So many people have these fantasies where they're just going to find that, that perfect person, but instead of spending all your time trying to find the right person, you become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Let me say that again. You become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. In this season, this is a season to guard your heart. It's, 
It's not time to give your heart away yet. That is a season that will come. Here's the second season that Solomon tells us about. It's the season to guard your purity. It's a season to guard your purity because what we're tempted to do is we're tempted just to blow past certain guardrails in our life. It doesn't matter whether you are married or unmarried. There are certain guardrails that we just are tempted to blow past and we go past them. Here's what Solomon writes in this next verse. He says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Now, whenever they refer to our vineyards, they're talking about our bodies, And so you read this and you go, is he saying what I think he's saying? It's absolutely what he's saying. He's saying exactly what you think he's saying. One of the biggest threats to a vineyard were these little foxes. These foxes, they would sneak in at night and they would gnaw at the roots and then they would climb up the vine and they would eat the fruit that was just beginning to bud. It wasn't fully matured and so the grapes would never grow in. And a fox could ruin a harvest. So what are the little foxes in your relationship? What are those little foxes that are gnawing at the roots of your relationship? They're gnawing at your oneness. They're climbing up on the vine and they're taking away the joy and the excitement, the commitment, the purity. And if you let them stay there, you're in jeopardy of of them destroying your relationship. In Solomon, protecting the relationship was not just the job of the couple. It was the job of everyone around them. Once an engagement was announced, they would go on a year-long fast, and the friends and family would all protect them. See, this is where the tradition of groomsmen and bridesmaids came from. This was not for pictures. Groomsmen and bridesmaids were not so we could have an even picture in this beautiful colors. That's not the purpose. They were there for protection. The groomsmen would wear swords to protect the groom. So the question is, what protections do you need in your life? What protections do you need in your relationships to guard them from being ruined, to guard them from from being um, gnawed away of this oneness that can be yours? Here at The Crossing, our our staff, we have what we call the Ten Commandments of Moral Purity. That everyone on our staff, when they come on staff, they agree to abide by these. They sign it in our employee manual. And so I thought I would just kind of just peel back the curtain here for a second and tell you what ours are. Number one is, thou shalt not go to lunch alone with the opposite sex. Number two, thou shalt not have the opposite sex pick you up or drive you places when it's just the two of you. Number three, thou shalt not kiss any attender of the opposite sex or show affection that could be questioned. Now, these first three do not apply to our single staff, okay? So we allow our single staff to be able to go out to lunch together with somebody that they like. It's for our married couples. Number four, thou shalt not visit the opposite sex alone at home. Number five, thou shalt not counsel the opposite sex alone at the office. There needs to be somebody else in the office at that time. Number six, Thou shalt not discuss detailed sexual problems with the opposite sex in counseling. Refer them. Number seven, thou shalt not discuss your marriage problems with an attender of the opposite sex. Number eight, thou shalt be careful in answering emails, texts, direct messages, or letters from the opposite sex. 
Number nine, thou shalt make your assistant your protective ally. My assistant, my executive assistant's Regina. She makes my calendar. She knows where I am every minute of every day. She always knows. Number 10, thou shalt pray for the integrity of our staff members. Now listen, that's just our list. I realize that that may not be practical for you. That may not be practical in the jobs that you have. You may have lunch meetings. You may have certain places that you have to be with somebody. But you need your list. You need to come up with what is your list. If you're single, if you're single, you need a list. What are the boundaries that you're going to put in your life to protect your purity? To protect this future relationship that you hope to have. If you're married, what boundaries are you going to have to protect your marriage? Every affair that I know of, and I have dealt with more than, than I can even describe to you, every single affair that I know of started with an innocent time together. It was just this innocent time together, and their hearts began to be drawn towards each other. See, here's a huge learning for us. It's this, is that purity paves the way to intimacy. That purity paves the way to intimacy. It paves the way to intimacy with your spouse. It paves the way to intimacy with your future spouse. It paves the way to intimacy with God. That purity paves the way to intimacy. See, our culture thinks that God is anti-sex. Nothing could be further from the truth. He created it. It was his idea. He was having a good day on that day. <laughs> He's the one who inspired Solomon to write this book about sexuality and marriage and relationships. That he created intimacy. But at the same time, God loves you and God knows you. That he knows that the damage that can be done when this gift is taken out of the context that he created it for. So what are your little foxes? What are the things that, that could rob you of intimacy? That could rob you of what God has for you? Solomon says you have to catch them. You have to protect your love. And then I love this next verse, verse 16. It says, my beloved is mine and I am his. That there is this exclusive relationship. It's no wondering, it's not wondering, are you out with somebody else? Are your eyes wandering towards somebody else? You are mine and I, and I am his. It is just this exclusive relationship. And then this verse, a few verses later, says this. This is actually found four times in the book of Song of Solomon, this exact verse right here. Daughters of Jerusalem. I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Now this verse right here, this part right here, is so desires is actually a bad translation. It actually would be better translated until it is time. Do not arouse or awaken love until it is time because there is a time for that. But he's saying at this early stage, it's not time yet. There is a time and we're going to talk about that next week. But when you take it out of its place that God intended it to be, it's destructive. We have a fireplace at my house, and we love to use it. I mean, when it gets down to like 65, it's just a chill in the air. You know, we turn on the fireplace. And when that fireplace is contained, it's beautiful. I mean, I could watch the fire burn for hours. But if that same fire spreads uncontrollably, it can destroy everything in its path. 
that intimacy, sexual intimacy has its place. But when you take it out of where God has created it, it can destroy everything in its path. Let me tell you why I'm so passionate about this. The reason I'm so passionate about this, because I have spent years picking up the pieces of people's lives who have been destroyed. Listen, I'm glad to do it. That's what we're here for. That's what we do as a church. I would just rather help you on the front end instead of working through the pain on the back end. That in your relationships, that what you practice, it becomes permanent. The things that you put in your life today will become a permanent part of your relationships tomorrow. They say that the divorce rate is 50%. It's actually not that high. How they get that figure is they, they divide it by the number of marriage licenses divided by the number of divorces that take place in that year. But they don't take into account all the existing marriages. The real divorce rate is actually about one out of every three marriages. But that's still too high. That's still too much. I mean, you wouldn't take those odds anywhere else. If you went to the airport and they said, one of every three of our airplanes go down, you'd say, okay, I'm not flying. You wouldn't, you'd get out of that place. Or if you went to your favorite restaurant and they had the special for the day and they go, you know, one of every three people die after eating this special meal, you go, I'm fasting today. I'm out. See, we wouldn't take those odds anywhere else. But according to Marriage and Divorce magazine, there was a study that was done about how to increase the chances of a marriage surviving. Here's what they found. They found that couples who go to church together and they read their Bible together and they pray together, the divorce rate goes from one out of every three for a normal family to one out of every 1,105. That's the difference. That's the difference of putting God first. See, here's the key. The key to building a great marriage is building a God-first life. It's just deciding we're going to put God first in all we do, in everything that we do. That's the key. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for every single who is in this room right now. Because you face pressures that just the worst that it's ever been in history. The things that you have to deal with. And we want to walk alongside you. And I want to pray for marriages in this room. That we watch marriages crash and burn all the time. And there are so many pressures. There's so many pressures that come at you in marriage. Pressures of finances. Pressures of kids, of sexual past and struggles, jobs. So we want healthy marriages. We just believe that a healthy marriage builds a healthy church. And if we're going to have a healthy church, we want our marriages to be strong. And so I want to pray for every marriage in this room as well. And so if you would just bow your heads, and I'm just going to pray for you and over you. God, right now, we thank you for just these relationships that you have created for us. God, I want to pray for every person here who is single right now. There are some here who are single who it just hurts. 
There's just pain that's involved. God, I just pray that you would be their advocate. That you would be the one who comes alongside them and says that you are enough. That you would feed into them. Bring them contentment for where you have them right now. And God, I pray that you would prepare them for what's next. You would help them become the person that you would have them become. God, that you would feed into their life and into their relationships. God, help them to have wisdom on who to let into their life. Making wise decisions about who they spend time with and who they give their heart to. God, I want to pray for every marriage here. God, we live in times where it's just never been harder to be married. In all of the pressures that we face, God, I just want to pray for the marriages right now that are just barely holding on. The ones that they don't know if they can make it. God, I pray that you would just show up in that relationship. God, you would encourage them. God, you would help them to deal with whatever is underlying in this. You would bring healing to hearts. God, we pray for for marriages that maybe are just in that middle season and things just, they're not as exciting as they used to be. And everything is fine, but they find themselves just living like roommates. God, that you would bring just that sparkle back. God, thank you for every marriage that has stood the test of times in this room. God, I pray that you would help these couples who have had long-time marriages to feed into our younger marriages and our younger people. So God, we give this all to you and we thank you for relationships and the power of what you can use to, to make us into the people you want us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.